Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen. I need to do a huge shout out to those of you supporting the podcast over on Patreon. I literally can't do this without your help, so thank you so much. If you've been thinking about supporting, now is definitely the time. We've got some amazing things planned for the future that can't be done without your help. You can help by contributing as little as $1 a month. $5 a month gets you some bonus episodes and some other perks. I'm trying to make more and more perks available every day. Support today by visiting patreon.com slash fstop and listen. Welcome to episode 61 with Abe Blair. Man, Abe and I had an awesome conversation about uh, how he got into photography, what it's like to have his own gallery, um, what it's like to uh, manage the busy life of photography and a family, and he got to tell us uh, the amazing story of how he captured the Trident missile launch. Uh, definitely worth listening to. Uh, I think you're going to really like this week's episode, and thanks for tuning in. All right, well, thanks, Abe Blair, for coming on to F-Stop, Collaborate, and Listen. Thanks for having me. Really excited to uh, have a have a sit-down with you. Absolutely. Uh, virtually, as they say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Someday we'll, yeah. Get, we'll meet up in Colorado, probably during the fall color season. Oh, dude, I know that's absolutely my favorite time of year to take pictures. I, it's just, I don't know, there's something about the smell in the air and the, I don't know, it's just magical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just, it's the colors. Um, you know, yeah. that's everybody, no, like I say, uh, from, from a gallery perspective, um, you know, fall color sells anywhere in the world. Um, yeah, people man, can I, relate to it anywhere. Yeah, unless you live in like I don't know somewhere that doesn't have fall colors. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But even even you know, I've I've talked to I've talked to people island folks and you know people in 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 the tropics and and they still enjoy the the colors. I think the colors just fit the the decor and set yeah. really nice warm tones and moods in houses. So yeah, man. Well, cool. Well, shit. Why don't you tell us like who the heck you are and like um like do you do this full time and um, like tell us about yourself and how you got into photography? Yeah. Well, um, I was born and raised in Portland, Oregon and um, I uh, received a, an old manual focus film camera, Canon AE one um, somewhere in my early years in high school, I think as a freshman. And uh, that was kind of the, the epitome of the, the beginning of the end of a formal education for me. Um, I just fell in love with it and very quickly started carrying it with me when I was up in the mountains snowboarding and, and just paired the two of them. Um, so throughout high school, I was kind of the kid reading a snowboard magazine behind my math book, but I was, I was studying the photographers and what they were doing more than the, the athletes. So I, I pursued that, that, excitement and uh shortly after high school moved to a snowboard summer camp in uh mounted up in timberline yeah and uh my real job at the time was working in a large camera retailer called camera world at the time which is kind of like b and h on the west coast yeah what is uh, that like uh that's gosh i think i've been in that store a few times in in portland yeah i think they got bought out by ritz camera at some point but um they were independently owned then and it was just at the dawn of digital cameras. So we were selling half a megapixel and one megapixel cameras for like a thousand or $1,500. <laughs> you 
you know, and, uh, and then the D one came out the first digital SLR that was practical after those, those big behemoth, um, Kodak Canon combinations that were around. And, um, so I started a business with a partner, uh, photographing the campers, um, with the digital camera and then printing their, their photos on site, um, after dinner. And that, that allowed me to get access to the up and coming professional snowboarders and, uh, the current pros and kind of get my foot in the door, um, in that industry. And that's really where I wanted to go. And I pursued that for quite some time. I think I shot professionally there for about 13 years Wow! um, before I kind of decided that I'd, uh, kind of outgrown the industry. The industry had made a lot of changes and I was, um, no longer 21 and capable of sleeping on couches all over the place. And um, just needed to sort of step up my game a little bit professionally. And um, so I decided to uh, start pursuing landscape photography. That's and that awesome. was probably about six, six years ago. Kind of interesting. I, I ended up told my wife, I said, you know, I think I'm just going to go photograph landscapes down at Mono Lake it was a few hours from my house at the time. And it's a really famous place. I've driven by it all the time for snowboarding stuff, but I never stopped there. And all the famous photographers used to shoot there. And, and so that weekend was the weekend that I met my, uh, my good friend and mentor, uh, Jeff Mitchum, uh, was actually that, that weekend. And that really became kind of the catalyst for me to, to really want to become a landscape photographer. And it took a few years of transition to, make that a reality but but that became kind of the the next goal after i had done the snowboard shooting that's sweet dude so obviously you're doing this full-time now yeah yeah it's, it's kind of all i all i've known um, <laughs> yeah. i, suppl- I su- supplemented the winter career uh as a whitewater rafting and fly fishing guide up in oregon um on the deschutes river nice so that was the summer gig and then i I'd move new address every six months, summer address, winter address, and, you know, lived all around the West coast, uh, chasing the, the athletes and the snow, <laughs> trying to, trying to get the next best contract for, for the, in the, in the business. And yeah, that's now, now it is, it's been solely a hundred percent for the last, uh, probably five years. So tell us a little bit about, um, being mentored by by Jeff Mitchum, like I feel like there's not a lot of um, those kinds of relationships um, these days. Um, maybe there are, I just don't know about them. But like, how how do you how did you come to have someone mentor you, and like, what did what did you get out of it, and how did it help you? Um, well, as I said, you know, we 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 met at a at Mono Lake, um, and it was a pretty good sunset, and one of those interesting. One of those situations, you know, there's 30, 40 tripods lined up at the classic, you know, angles. And uh, I was on the end of the tripod lineup. I looked to my left and there's, so there's a guy with a big, fancy Hasselblad H4, you know, 40 megapixel medium format camera. I'd only seen it in the catalogs at B&H. So I pretty excited and I took a little step closer to the main lineup of tripod, tripods, gave him a little bit of berth because just, wow, this guy must know what he was doing. And, uh, the sun went down after the mountains and behind the mountains there. And that was kind of the first sunset and things were shaping up really well. And everybody cleared out 
including uh, Jeff. And we shortly ran into each other a few hundred yards down down the shore. And we proceeded to just keep running into each other at really good compositional angles um, for uh, most of the evening and started just chit-chatting. I'd never heard his name. I didn't know anybody in landscape photography. I was shooting a 12-megapixel camera and was all high on this new HDR technology that I had read about in a photo magazine. And he was bouncing, bouncing, bouncing back and forth between this his Hasselblad and a, a, a 617 film camera, which I had never seen. And I just was intrigued. And uh, he, he gave me his business card and we went about our way and I checked out his website. And at that point was like, wow, I sent him a whole bunch of photos that I had shot and a couple of them of his. And, and we just slowly formulated a relationship that way. And um, we, we chatted for about five hours that particular day. And, and I, he just, I think he liked what he heard and liked my backstory. And, um, eventually we started doing hiking trips where I would just purely assist for him, carrying his extra cameras and tripods and everything, um, hiking around Yosemite, um, most of the time. And he was actually mentored by Ansel Adams for the last 10 or 15 years of Ansel's career. And, uh, I guess he just decided it was time for him to take somebody on and I met the criteria and, and like I say, that was about six years ago, probably. And, uh, you know, it's just, just been, been really fun to know him and, and, and learn from him. You know, most of the learning is not necessarily exposures and whatnot, but it's, it's the deeper end of, of composition and the pre-visualization process to create a, uh, you know, a fine art image that's, um, emotionally rewarding as well as, uh, you know, financially, uh, rewarding in, in a gallery environment. Do you, do you feel like, um, his mentorship helped you more from a business perspective or more from the art of photography perspective? I would, it's a little of both. Um, you know, his, his business model is, is still one that I, I, I envy. Um, I mean, obviously anybody who sells the amount of work and, and then the dollar value that he sells is, is just unbelievable. I mean, I believe he's in the top 10 of, of, you know, dollar figures. He sold an image for, I believe $1.8 million a couple of years ago. Damn. So he, he kind of goes head to head with Peter Lick down in, in Las Vegas and, uh, so he, he's, he's just on a different plane, so to speak, in that, in that financial realm. But uh, the business model holds true. Um, but I think it has a lot, our relationships, and what I've learned is, is a lot of the, the, the art of photography. And just, he's, he's a good sounding board. Um, he and I have a very similar opinion about the, the need for integrity in photography and in art in general. Uh, tell me a little bit more about that. Like what specifically do you mean? Well, so he, 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 you know, kind of follows that similar mantra of Ansel Adams with the pre-visualization process, um, and capturing the image as best as possible in camera, um, you know, and knowing what adjustments will need to be made, um, in either, you know, in Ansel's case, in the dark room and in our case, in, in Lightroom, 
but minimizing the amount of time on the computer and and just getting it done right in camera um not not shortchanging yourself by by adding some some extra filtration you know post-production environment to to create what you wanted to see and just having the patience um or the integrity to revisit a scene continuously until you get truly what you want. Mm. But through that process, you know, I find myself scouting or viewing scenes and I just look at the scene and it's truly what, what's the greatest thing that could happen right here? You know, um, you know, whether it be a sunrise or a sunset, what, what's the best cloud structure? What's the best angle of the light? Um, you know, just literally imagining the most amazing thing that could happen at that location and then and then pursuing that that vision. Yeah, um, I, th- I, I think, think I think it's interesting because I feel like there's a um, sort of a diversion, which it's probably not that new, but it feels like it's more poignant now, probably with social media and things like that. But I feel like there's kind of a, a divergence in the digital photography world right now between people that kind of uh, um, take that approach of kind of pre-visualization and getting it right in camera and not not adding elements to an image that weren't there versus those that take more of a digital art perspective um, and, you know, pretty much, you know, they take elements of a scene and they, you know, I think the thought process is similar. You know, they say what what's the best thing that I, what's the, what are the things that I could do to make this scene look the best possible? And, you know, I think there's photographers that do a lot of post work around adding color and adding objects and removing foreground elements, adding foreground elements, adding clouds, adding Milky Way, you know, whatever they can to what in their vision. So I guess, how do you, how do you see those two approaches as being different at all? Um, well, I, I think they are very similar. Um, and then, I mean, don't get me wrong, people who, you know, stereotypically say spend more time on the computer than in the field to create their imagery. I, I think their work is phenomenal. Um, some of the, you know, the, what, what you see is, is there, that is their pre-visualization sure. and they're choosing to use basically, I guess, all the tools available. And I, I guess I choose to be a little more stubborn um, with my process and, and only use certain tools or, or certain um, styles that, that, that I can, I guess, morally um, digest for myself and, and work with. Um, you know, I find it kind of, you know, like in the film days, I, I consider myself, you know, kind of a Photoshop guru. I lived in Photoshop <laughs> versions one through four um scanning film and and fixing all of the errors that happened on on film to to get the image the way i wanted it and then somewhere down the line i, I kind of made a shift and, and started to kind of pull back from that and and want to create it more in camera i think a lot of that had to do with working with the the editorial the ed- editors for a lot of the magazines that i was working with you know they wanted to keep things pretty pure mm-hmm. you know you, you couldn't couldn't get away with moving a snowboarder in the air to make it look bigger or smaller even though it looked cool you know we just sort of instilled some 
fundamentals in me that that are still uh, resonant today. Yeah, I, I it's no secret. I mean, I've actually written a lot about it, but I've personally struggled with that. Those two kind of those worlds of you know purism versus um, digital manipulation, and I think it's a it's a challenging uh, it's a challenging one. It's, I feel like you know, you got to be true to yourself and decide what's right for you. But at the end of the day, I don't think anyone's right or wrong, but it is definitely interesting to hear about people's different perceptions of that, of that dichotomy. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think there is a right or wrong way. Um, it, it's, and that, that is essentially the, the art is, is, you know, what, what, what you feel right, right with, you know, how, how you want to create that image. Um, I do find that the more organic in-camera process comes across um, much better in a uh, in a gallery art collector perspective. Um, you know, every day that I'm in the gallery, people come in and ask, <laughs> "Is this photoshopped? Is this real?" Every day, I have to answer that question thirty plus times a day, and. Uh, and, you know, I could tell people, no, it's not. It's, you know, this is this is the scene as it was. It was a lot of study and revisiting. And um, and I have hosted other artists when I had my own personal gallery. And I've worked with some other galleries where we did have a little more of the digital artist. And uh, I find I find it to be a slightly tougher sell yeah. for for the, the collector. And especially when you get into the, say, the higher grade um, art collectors, you know, and, and even museums, um, you know, they, they, they do have a, a standard that, 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 that needs to be adhered. It's not really written down, but it is an unspoken standard that things need to be with, you know, within the realm of reality. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that. Cause, um, like I know, you know, Peter Lick, you mentioned him earlier and he recently had that moon composite image and, I don't, he hasn't had any trouble selling that to people. I think someone, I think it might've been Mark Handy was telling me he, he saw it in person and he said it actually still looked pretty impressive in person, but I think some of that's just presentation and marketing to some degree, you know? It, it is. Well, so Peter has a brand new image I saw um, released. It has a lavender field in the foreground with a twilight sky in the Milky Way and I was having a conversation actually with Jeff about that image. Um, and you read the backstory and, <laughs> and, and it just doesn't add up. He, he does indicate that it is multiple exposures that were merged together, but the technical aspects that he includes in the backstory aren't real. They, it, right. it's, it's, you, and I've been to his galleries many times. Um, I'm constantly secret shopping his galleries when I'm, in his area and uh and the sales staff never reveals that they they don't answer um in my opinion truthfully right they they say it's i saw an image of his recently it was a milky way shot and the salesperson told me it was shot on his 617 camera (laughs) on a film camera you can't photograph the milky way on a film camera it's just i mean you can but like it won't come out. <laughs> yeah, and, and there was a foreground element and everything, and it just it just didn't pencil. But you know, for the sales staff, they're they're highly pressured, and they need to you know 
sell sell the images and and they say what needs needs to be said and i think that's where the yeah you know, and and not to dog peter he is hands down the most business savvy photographer in the industry um but I, i've spoken with many of my friends and peers and, and we can often say you know so how, how does how does he sleep at night um <laughs> from a moral <laughs> right. perspective but to each his own and you know I'm I'm impressed with his success. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's you know my my biggest um, issue is like there's lots of um, really good digital artists out there that um, you know they have some great photographs. Well, I don't even know if you can call them a photograph. They have some great artwork, and um, I mean, I don't even question that. Like, it's fantastic yeah. artwork. But then when you read their description and like how the way they answer questions that people pose them, it's like all lies. And it's like, you know, photographers see right through that stuff. And kind of like you, it's like, how do you live with yourself? If like, you know, you're lying to people that are asking you questions. Like, it's okay to say like, Oh, you know what? Um, This is what the scene looked like, but you know, my artistic vision for this scene was X, Y, and Z. And so I decided that that's what I wanted to do. And I think the reason they don't do it is because they know that it won't sell if they do that. I, 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 I agree. Um, however, I think, you know, as times are changing, um, you know, that, that and people are, it, art is art. Um, there is no definition of, of right and wrong. And, and I True think that. that, you know, so everybody can, can have their, their, their niche. I think it's just important that a full disclosure is, is, is included. Um, you know, with, with all art, whether it be, you know, photographic or digital or, you know, Banksy graffiti art on the side. I mean, I just, you know, it should be, you just need to disclose what, what you were thinking and what you did to, to produce that. And if people enjoy it visually, they will buy it. Um, but I think we are in a transitional time where people can, can relate to an organic capture, um, emotionally a little better than they can something that was created over a one week or a 24 hour time period in the computer, you know? Right. No, I agree. Well, we could, we could pound that topic to death. So <laughs> yes, we could. <laughs> um, and we have, um, if you listen to Mark Candy, actually we did like a 40 minute episode on Patreon just on that topic and it was awesome, but yeah. Um, Mark's a, Mark's a great guy. I, I met him in the field, uh, quite a few years ago. And yeah. uh, we, we had a, a wonderful evening. I almost I almost got sucked into the Pacific Ocean, but uh, <laughs> survived that. Mark Mark was up on a higher vantage point. I think he he knew something we didn't, and uh, and he was just laughing laughing his pants off as as <laughs> all of it was three or four of us just took it huge, almost to the chest, oh. huge wave at, at Thor's Well in Oregon, and and. Uh, all the cameras and photographers survived, but, but it was a close one. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome, man. Well, so you mentioned, uh, working in a gallery. So tell me about gallery life. Um, what, what's the extent of your gallery experience and kind of what are you doing with galleries and what is that like? Well, um, after hanging out with Jeff for a while, I, I had a chance to get, you know, sort of, sort of trained by, by his staff and, and spent some time down in Las Vegas and, um, 
I took that knowledge up to at the time where I was living in uh, Truckee, California, which is uh, North Lake Tahoe. And I opened up my own gallery and had that for about two years. And that was a, an amazing experience, a lot of ups and downs, but overall a, a really positive experience. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a whole nother beast, um, you know, compared to just going out in the field and capturing great photos and sharing them on Facebook to, to then translating that into, you know, sales. Um, I remember this, it, it took me probably six months really to, to learn how to sell my work or to explain it in a non photographic way. You know, somebody asks, is that real? And I start talking about ISOs and F stops and <laughs> people just start glassing over. They don't know what I'm talking about. And that's all I know how to do is explain how a Milky Way shot was done. And so it was an, it's, it's, and it's still a constant, um, learning experience to, to, um, you know, be able to explain, um, my particular style and, and especially the nighttime imagery, uh, to somebody who truly doesn't know anything about photography, but yet they ask, is this photoshopped or what camera did you use? But they don't really know, uh, the answer, even if you give it to them. Right. You know, I've always struggled with that question. Is this photoshopped? Cause I mean, especially us night photographers, like we're always in Photoshop, like we're shooting raw. So of course, yeah. like you're going to do some post-processing work. So it's like, if someone says, was this Photoshopped? Like, it's almost like you have to answer yes and no. <laughs> like, um, yes, I did stuff to it in Photoshop, but yes. And this is also real. And no, I didn't just drop that Milky Way right there. <laughs> So for, for me, it, it, it's a little simpler um, in the sense that I, I truly, really don't touch Photoshop. Um, I process entirely in Lightroom. Okay. Um, so I can tell people, no, I use a <laughs> digital dark. I use a digital darkroom. Right. Which allows me to do a single exposure. Well, until I guess recently, I guess at Lightroom has the the HDR stuff. But for most of the time, I was given just the darkroom controls. So, you know, some burning and some dodging and. Um, you know, an, a singular exposure and not being able to, to layer stuff in. So I, I, I do all the processing in Lightroom and then uh, send it to Photoshop to create the TIFF to then send to my, my printer. Right. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, 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 I'm scared of Photoshop these days now, really. I, I, I poke, poke my head in there from time to time and, and, and just so many more tools and controls than, than uh, when I used to use it a lot. But, uh, yeah, I think it's just explaining your art to somebody who doesn't know the photographic process is, is a challenge. Yeah. So, you know, one of the, one of the things that I've always thought about, like, you know, I think most landscape photographers have this kind of dream in the back of their head of someday having their own gallery. Like, Oh, if only I had a rich relative die, I would just open my own gallery and (laughs) it would be awesome. But I've always like, worried about like my ability to sell myself you know like yeah like, talk about myself and talk about my photos because every time like I've been in some galleries and I've had work at like art shows and stuff like that but it's like every time people come up to you it's like kind of awkward talking about it. so what is it like for you and like I'm, it sounds like you struggled at first too but how, 
What are some things that you learned over time to make that a little bit easier? Well, some of the best advice um, given to me by Jeff, um, the very first time I ever showed my art publicly uh, was at a, a, a VIP event at Harrah's down in South Lake Tahoe. I had the opportunity to to get in on that. And, uh, and what he told me was to romance the art to which essentially as I understood it was to really talk about the, the emotional process, um, not only for me creatively as an artist, but what, what is emotionally drawing the viewer into that particular image. Um, here in, you know, I, I'm mostly in the Lake Tahoe area. So we have tons of people who come to Lake Tahoe. They love it. They love everything about it. And so when they're viewing an image, you know, maybe they got, maybe they got married at this, this particular beach, or maybe they were proposed to, or they go there all the time. So they have an emotional connection to that, that area and that particular scene. And I, I think it's, it's, the art purchase is, is a very emotional, um, you know, acquisition, um, you know, for, for the, for most of these people. So I, I find it, I found that to be some of the most helpful is, is just to, to kind of lay off the technical aspects and, and to sell the emotion, to talk about the emotion as, as, as I was creating the image and then what they're experiencing by viewing that image. So, Give me an example. So like, let's say, I mean, like I have a, <laughs> I had a, someone reach out to me, I think last week saying like they, he and his wife went on a trip and like, they're about to have a baby. And like this photo is like tied to an experience they had. So like, how do I, how do I kind of, I mean, they were already interested, obviously, because they reached out to me. So, like, how do I play on that emotional aspect? Like, how would I play that up? Like, talk about my personal emotions to that scene and, like, how that relates to maybe what they saw or experienced? Or how would you do that? Um, I I find it to be a combination. I'll give you an example. I I had a collector. um, It's still a regular collector of mine. And they had purchased a few of my pieces from the Lake Tahoe area. And, and the husband had told me that he had proposed to his wife on top of half dome 40 years ago. And, uh, and then a few months later I was out, you know, gunning for a specific image with the Milky way rising over half dome, uh, from glacier point with a hint of moonlight to, to bring in the foreground. And, that was an image I was shooting for myself. And as soon as I created that image, my collector, Tom came in, came to mind and he was the first person I emailed that image to I said, Hey Tom, I've got this brand new image from Yosemite. And I remember you telling me about how much you loved Yosemite and you know, your experience about proposing to your wife on half dome. And well, here's my newest release. And he was a fan of my Milky way imagery. And, uh, and so I showed it to him and, it was just an instant no-brainer for him. He just said, I'll take number one. I want a 30 by 40, and I know right where I'm going to put it. Nice. Um, and so I think it's it's so it's, almost it's, like, often, it's often like that. So it's almost like um, just boiling it down to making it personal. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I had another gentleman come into my, my gallery 
And just a nice, simple image that he was attracted to with a couple of rocks and just the lake, um, just the, the, the water itself, very tight um, image of a nice arrangement of rocks. And it was, you know, clearly defined kind of the east shore of the lake. And, and he says, oh, well, I, I love this image. And, you know, I proposed to my wife in 2001 um, on the east shore. And, and, and we, we'd love this. And, and is number one available. And I said, well, yes, it is. And I said, you know, and for you guys, I'm going to make this a little special. So I'm going to no- number this 01 of 20 so that it had the 01 effect of the year that he proposed oh, nice. to his wife. <laughs> um, and I, I've done that a handful of times for, for people who have had had proposals at the lake or, you know, on the day I photographed the image and I'll, I'll kind of uh, I'll give them number one. And I'll, I'll dedicate it to them, you know, in that sense, um, any way that I can, so that it truly becomes a, a personal piece of art for them. That's awesome, dude. Um, well, that's great. I, <laughs> As you're talking, I'm sitting here thinking about, like, people that have bought from me before, like, hmm, what could I, what could I do? <laughs> yeah, I think it's important. I, I, everywhere I shoot, all around the West Coast, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm photographing for myself, you know, kind of in a selfish manner. But as soon as the creation is done, then I have to put on yeah. the business hat and I have to think, OK, how am I going to sell this? Who is going to buy this? And and that consideration come, goes into what I choose to shoot and what I choose mm-hmm. not to is if I if I can't instantly think how I'm going to sell that image, I, I, I often don't even try to photograph it. Hmm. Um so I, I find I find it to be an interesting balance in in this industry specifically to to juggle. You know, if you if you shoot too far in in the middle of nowhere, too far from where anybody has ever been, they're not going to have a connection. Oh, that's my that's for sure my problem. <laughs> all my photos are from the middle of nowhere. <laughs> you know, like like if if it was just us photographers kind of trying to show off to each other then, you know, we'd be on the moon by now photographing, you know, where nobody's ever been. But from a business perspective, I find it, it challenging. You, you can't go too far into the middle of nowhere um, consistently. Otherwise, people just, it's, they're amazed at the image, but, but the disconnect is, is still there. Right. Yeah. So within the gallery, we have images we call talking pieces that kind of draw people in. They never sell. But they're so visually just wow that that kind of brings people in the door, and then and then we have the the other images that are you know the regular sellers that people can kind of connect to, yeah, more often. Nice. Well, so you're a, sounds like you're pretty busy um, uh, with you know gallery and shooting and promoting your work and all that stuff. Like, and you have a wife and kids, so like. How do you how do you manage all that at the same time? Because I think, um, you know, a lot of us people that are kind of like just on the cusp of full time. I mean, I'm not saying myself, but there's a lot of people that I think think about going full time. But then, you know, they have all these other personal obligations that um, they feel like get in the way. So how do you how do you manage that? Um, well, first and foremost, I have an amazing wife who, (laughs) who, who understands, um, my passion for what I do. Um, 
with without her, without her understanding of my need to to do what I do creatively, um, I wouldn't be here now. Um, so it, it's a definite team partnership that we've we've created. Um, and I, I find that that now, especially with kids, um, I have to operate a lot more uh, surgically. Is a term I like to <laughs> to use. Um, I know I, before I had kids and and when I was still dating my now wife, I'd hop in my truck and I'd drive around the Southwest or the West Coast of the U.S. for that matter for two weeks, sleeping in my truck, sleeping in the dirt, you know, no care in the world. Um, and, and I think through that process, I learned to study the light and, and what worked and what didn't work. And now I have to move, like say a lot more surgically. So, you know, I, I feel like, uh, if this ever, if this career doesn't work, I should become a meteorologist, <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> with, you know, with, with the ability to read weather. And, and that comes, I think from my snowboarding tenure, you know, reading weather constantly and, and mountain weather at that, which is always changing. And, and so looking at radars and, you know, um, pressure systems. So I, I have to just move, move carefully. Um, well, this evening would be a prime example. The sunset's going to be phenomenal. Tonight. Oh, I'm sorry, dude. But I, I, you know, I had, I had <laughs> a meeting with you this evening. I fly out to Alaska tomorrow morning for a trip. Um, and so it's just, it's just not going to happen. So, um, you know, having the confidence in myself to get the shot when I have the time and when I don't have the time to just let it go. Um, that's been one of the hardest things to learn, you know, when the light is going off, but the kids need me or my wife needs me and to just to let that go and know that there'll be another sunset. There'll be another good light. Um, yeah, I think that's been, been key. But with that said, my wife also knows that sometimes I just I have to tell her, hey, I need to go a thousand miles away because there's going to be a five minute window of opportunity for this image I've had in my head for years. And I got to go now. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, it's, it's a juggle, but just making sure that, that the balance is always there. Yeah, uh, it's so funny because I used to. Um, I think when I first got into photography, I, I, you know, if I if I thought it was going to be a badass sunrise or sunset, like I just made it happen, and uh, you know that puts a lot of tension on your relationships and and like uh, other obligations that you have. And um, I've just come to be a little bit more chill about it nowadays. Like, oh, if it's a good sunrise, it's a good sunrise or whatever, and there'll be more. Like you said, like. Yeah. It's the sun comes up again in 24 hours. It's all good, man. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely that, that fear of missing out, you know, yeah. um, thing. And I think that just comes from time spent in the field. Um, you know, the more you do it, the more you've seen. And I think the more relaxed you, you can be in, in that environment. So when, when it's, when it's going off and you get to be there with the photographer hat on, you know, you're clocked in, you're doing your job and, and you know you're paying the bills so to speak but uh you know when you're out with friends and and family and and you don't have the camera so be it and you just sit back and enjoy it and do something else yeah i think that's hard for some people because um you know i there's there i mean i know people that they don't leave their house without their camera no matter where they go and 
I don't know. I just feel like that can be uh, a, a big strain on on your relationships with other people because then you, you just become like that guy. Like, dude, can you just not take pictures once and like just sit down and talk to us? Because I went on a vacation once with my wife and her best friend and her best friend's hu- um, husband. We went to Kauai and like every sunrise, every sunset, like I had to be somewhere <laughs> shooting something, you know? And I think it kind of annoyed them, you know, like, it's like, seriously, dude, like, can we just go have a Mai Tai on the beach? Like, yeah, it does. People, you know, they, they, if if you you don't prioritize your, your, your relationships, um, then, then those, those relationships, uh, suffer, um, you know, for, you know, my wife, for an example, I mean, my, my life has always been dictated by, mother nature when i was a snowboard photographer you know if it was a sunny powder day i didn't care what was going on in the real world i needed to go do work and um you know so learning to just you know that there's always another day and um you know and, and just prioritizing those relationships and making sure that everything is is reasonably balanced is by far the hardest but you know the most important for maintaining those relationships yeah <laughs> funny to talk about powder days like uh you know i live in i'm like 30 minutes away from a pretty good ski resort here in durango and i mean i know people that if it's if it's a powder day they they call in sick you know <laughs> like oh yeah yeah <laughs> the struggle is real for we, we deal with that all the time at the gallery you know with with our with our art consultants and staffing you know it's and i and i get it and i understand and i I, I think that eventually, once you've done it enough, you know, once once you've had twenty years of photography or twenty years of skiing or snowboarding, that you you, you learn that you know there will be no other good days. Right. Um, but it's it's just something that takes a tremendous amount of time. Yeah. Um, to 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 learn that. To, you know, yeah. Well, and I mean, I think you know this better than anyone, and we'll talk about that soon. But like, there's a there's also a tremendous amount of luck that goes into uh, landscape photography uh, specifically because, you know, we don't have control over most of the elements that we shoot. I mean, like even with a night sky image, like if there's clouds or, you know, if there's, there's so many things that can go wrong with landscape photography. Oh, most, most definitely. You know, I, I, in my dream world, I'd love to say that, you know, I'm a hundred percent when I leave my house, I go out, I get a perfect image and I go home and you know, that's it. I'm done. I'd, I'd love, I, I strive for that hundred yeah. percent, but I know the reality is that, you know, if I can be right 50% of the time, um, when I leave the house, that's, that's good. Yeah. Enough. Yeah. Um, but it, it hurts. You know, if I haven't photographed for say a month or two, just, you know, because I've been busy with, with family obligations and I finally get a chance to go out and the conditions are looking good and then nothing happens. I mean, it, it still hurts. It, it's frustrating. It, it's, you know, you feel, you know, deflated of sort, you know, oh man, I suck. And <laughs> this isn't any good. And oh, what am I doing? And, but, uh, and I think that's, you know, just perseverance or uh, stubbornness, however you want to, you want to word it. I think that's yeah. key. So 
Uh, perfect segue. So um, I think one of the things that you're well known for is um, that photograph of that missile test. And um, <laughs> I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that experience. Like, because um, I don't, if I, if I remember correctly, like you didn't even know that was happening. It just. No, no, nobody, nobody knew that that, that experience at, shortly after that experience, a lot of people, you know, told me the quote, uh, something goes, uh, luck benefits the prepared. Um, that I, I, I live by that quote, um, these days, uh, you know, it's just always, always be prepared. Yeah. So paint the scene for us. Like, uh, how did you find yourself in that situation and what happened? Well, long and the short, I guess, as uh, I was in the San Francisco area visiting uh, in-laws with my family. And uh, San Francisco is a beautiful city and and visiting the in-laws is is what it is. So I always bring my camera when I when I would <laughs> go visit. <laughs> oh, yeah, and, dude. Uh, so if 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 my. You know, if I had, if my time was, was done with, with the in-law time, um, I would have the opportunity to photograph, you know, sunrises and sunsets. And so this was one of those times where, uh, I, I actually threw it out on Facebook. I said, anybody want to meet at the Marin headlands? I'm going to photograph sunset and the fog forecast was looking good and nobody chimed in. Nobody said, you know, oh, I can't, I can't. And, and. I had my camera and I had the opportunity to get out of the house. So I took it. Uh, a good friend of mine, Justin Majenski, uh, ended up joining me. He drove from Sacramento um, all the way down to the bay. And we hiked up to uh, Slacker Ridge. It's a short little hike up, up in the headlands there. And, and you know, just as I was saying classically, you know, the forecasts weren't right. And the fog didn't come in. There was no clouds, sunset sucked, and there was probably 30 or 40 tripods within view of where we were. It's always a popular place to be, and uh, Justin is a professional uh, cinematographer and, and photographer, and so we just decided, hey, let's let's just stick it out. Let's do our job, and we were interested in trying some night exposures. Someday we'd love to get a photo of the Milky Way over the bay, and so we decided to stick around and, and try some evening exposures. So all the other people around us had left and <laughs> we were sort of twiddling our thumbs waiting for, for it to get fully dark. I think Justin was doing a time lapse looking out towards the East Bay and all of a sudden something not quite right appeared in the out of the south, what appeared to be the South Bay and you know, at first we thought it was an airplane with just a, a unique contrail and it just kept getting bigger and bigger and kind of appeared to be coming towards us. And uh, at that point, you know, Ju Justin and I are pretty kind of science, kind of science-y, nerdy kind of guys in that sense. And so we, we knew it wasn't a UFO and, and we kind of, I think, each unspokenly uh, knew it was a missile. And... um. I, I thought it, you know, I honestly, I thought it was a nuclear missile and I <laughs> was looking at it, contemplating, the end wow, of this. is this, <laughs> yeah. And I, the thought went through my head, I'm just going to watch this because nobody's going to look at this picture in 20 minutes. There's nobody around. Oh shit! Um, I had that conscious thought. And at that point, Justin yells at me or hollers at me. He's like, 
take pictures. And we just sort of snapped out of our gaze and uh, <laughs> went to work. Um, each of our cameras were already on tripods, you know, reasonably set up for, uh, you know, the ballpark exposure. And so we just, you know, each grabbed our cameras and recomposed. Uh, Justin was shooting video and I was shooting photos. And um, and I think that's, that's where, you know, uh, just the preparedness and the knowledge of my camera. I didn't have a headlamp with me. It was very dark, but I knew where every button was on my camera. I knew which way to slam dials from my aperture and my f-stops and my ISO. And so I just cranked my ISO, jacked my ISO up quite a few thumb strokes. I, I think it was about 1600 or so. I just knew I'd be, you know, more than 200 was going to work. And, uh, you know, dialed in a couple of second exposure. Um, I had enough wherewithal to not shoot at F2.8 because I wanted a fully sharp image. So I dialed in an F5.6 aperture, I think, and started shooting. And the entire process, the, the missile passed through our, our view, probably took about a minute and a half, maybe two minutes. And, and it's kind of, kind of funny that in the video that Justin shot, you can hear me actually complaining about compositional <laughs> elements, There's no wishing that the missile was a little more left <laughs> and that oh, I can't get all of the bridge in the shot. I'm like complaining about the lighting and the compositional issues while, you know, clicking away. I have to go shooting like three and four second exposures. And it just, and it happened. And, as afterward, we watched it continue off into the sky for quite some time. You know, it was no longer interesting to photograph. And and oddly enough, in that particular area in San Francisco, there's very little cell phone service. So we were trying to log on, you know, we're going on Facebook and CNN and Google and, you know, what's going on, what's going on. And we can't get service, can't figure out what's going on. And just like, well, did we just attack somebody? Was that a SpaceX? Like, what what's going on? And, and uh, I, again, in the video, I think it's kind of funny. I felt like the, the double rainbow guys were just constantly like, what is that? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, what is that? And just but yet kind of just clocked in and just did our jobs um, and documented what we saw. So what was the uh, what was the aftermath of that? Because I know I think maybe like that night or the day next morning, like you posted it. So like. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, it went viral quick because I remember, and you took full advantage of it, I remember, because you were selling prints, like, right away. Yeah, I, so I, I, I had already um, had a contract with Cater's news agency. Oh, sure. They, they had contacted me in with interest to just promote my, my fine art imagery for just, you know, like, lifestyle um, articles. And, uh, and oddly enough, I did not bring my computer down to the Bay Area that trip. So I had no way to download my pictures. And that was a Saturday evening. So I, I took a picture of the back of my camera and I'm sending it to people and texting people like, what is this? Check this crazy thing out. And um, So I ended up processing the image like late on Sunday evening. And then I reached out to my contact at Cater's News and said, hey, I photographed this missile thing over San Francisco. And, you know, we saw a little bit on the news and they got it onto the, the wire. 
and then it, that's really what it blew up, you know, Daily Mail and the Telegraph. And, nice. And then, uh, you know, see it in USA Today. I got interviewed by uh, Wolf Blitzen, Blitzer, Blitzer, <laughs> oh, um, CNN, which was kind of fun. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, so, and I think for me, again, just a, a solid amount of luck was had I had my computer, I would have put that onto, you know, Facebook you know, within, you know, hours of capturing it. Uh-huh. But since I didn't, I had enough time to kind of process the, the big picture. So the, before I did anything with the, the file, I um, sent it into the copyright office and filed a, a copyright um, for that one, that one image specifically before I sent it into caters. And that, that ended up being a, a very, you know, good, uh, decision. Um, I've unfortunately, you know, I've had a couple of good settlements out of that from some unfortunate misuse. Um, and, 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 and websites and companies that you would, you'd be very surprised about. I can't really mention due to the settlements, but, uh, yeah. Oh, I'm um, not surprised. <laughs> very not respect- surprised respectable, you know, agencies. I was very surprised, but, um, and then, yeah, I, the Navy contacted me. And so now currently I, I think I have two of the 20 limited editions left. Um, numbers one through five are all in Washington, DC in government buildings, two of them in the Pentagon. Um, so none of these I have access to see, which is sort of fun and comical. I don't have security clearance. They don't have security clearance to take a picture of the pictures on the wall. They have to leave their cell phones behind. So um, I'm told that they are in these offices in the Pentagon and these other other government buildings, but the government authorized photographers need to photograph the picture on the wall for me to be able to see it. That's awesome. Um, I ended up getting one in the, the physical submarine. So I spoke to the captain a few days after the, uh, the image was captured which was really exciting. Um, and for the, for the Navy and the missile defense side of the military, it was the perfect image. It was the culmination of the entire missile defense program as we know it. Um, wow. to, to show, you know, the, the force and the power. And, and then the, the technical aspect is what, what happened was the image, they had a six hour window of opportunity to photograph or to launch the missile and um, this is all information I was told to by very high-ranking folks, was that they were unable to clear the, the airspace in the Pacific Ocean off the coast of L.A., uh, where the submarine was, due to um, fishing boats south of the border that were fishing um, in our waters, and they couldn't get them out of the way, basically, um, until the very last minute of their window of opportunity. And they usually launch. This was the 159th time that they've launched a missile off the coast. But the first time that it had been done so late in the evening. Oh, uh-huh. So that once the missile had reached the sun sunlight um, in the upper atmosphere, that's when it became so visible and created such a unique uh, contrail. And so you're looking at, at the the contrail of the missile at like 90,000 feet elevation oh, wow. um, being illuminated by the sun, even though it was dark on terra firma. 
That's crazy, dude. <laughs> uh, yeah, it just, yeah, the conversations I've had with some, you know, very high ranking folks has been very educational and, and exciting. And I still probably sell one a month um, to enlisted officers and, and men that are within the Navy. I've had, I don't know how many covers internally in the, in the military and the, in the Navy uh, within their, their, their magazines and um, other areas that again, I can't really talk about too much, but but yeah, the (laughs) the publicity of that internally has just been um, unbelievable. Needless to say that, single image did did you well <laughs> yes yeah yeah it um we're we're i they th- think we've got to be you know in the I, i'd probably probably somewhere in the six figures low six figures nice <laughs> um off of it now um, see if you can make money on photography yeah and i i find it very comical as as a you know a nature landscape photographer that my my highest grossing image is this nuclear capable missile over one of the largest urban areas in the in the, in the world <laughs> that is hilarious but uh yeah and that's just just you know dumb luck um and and then just just luck you know and at the time you know i had a nikon 810 and justin i think had a sony r7 and we had you couldn't have asked for better equipment and everything just, just lined up. Um, you know, there's definitely nothing I would have done differently that, that evening, which, which I think is rare. A lot of times in landscapes, even when you get the shot you want a few years oh, later, you sure. think, Oh, well, I wish I would have shot it on this camera. I wish I had this lens, but yeah. it just panned out. Nice. Well, damn dude, that's a cool story. I kind of, makes me want to just go out and take pictures of this forest fire that's happening north of my house. <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 I think it, it's good. I think, I think getting out and shooting any, any of those events, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Man. Um, Shit. Maybe there'd be like a intervention from an alien to stop the fire. No, it's kidding. kind of, kind of funny. I've had, I don't know how many people have reached out to me anytime there's a, an announcement that they're going to be launching at Vanderberg or, or other <laughs> pre-planned missile launches. Yeah. Usually a week before a planned missile launch is, is announced. Um, my, my messenger just explodes <laughs> with people asking, how do I photograph the missile? That's um, <laughs> Well, I was just there. I don't know. <laughs> like I only photographed one and it doesn't look like what most look like. <laughs> just imagine you could do like, um, missile workshops. <laughs> and uh, the, in the the conspiracy theorists on oh. on the on the social media was unbelievable. Sure. People were convinced that I had gotten a phone call from the Pentagon and and you know that that I had the inside information and give me a it break. Was, it was yeah, it, it was. Um, I probably didn't sleep for thirty hours once that that photo went viral. Just managing managing the social media and the you know, the, the hate comments and trying to keep up with deleting everything that wasn't conducive and as well as, you know, replying to the, the interest. Jeez, man. Well, thanks for the, that story is awesome. Um, I've got two more questions for you cause we're running out of time. Um, yeah, fire, <laughs> fire the missile. Um, <laughs> so my first question is, um, 
based on the name of the podcast, uh, F stop collaborate and listen, what advice would you have for other photographers? Um, don't, don't listen to too many people do, do what, do what you think is right. Uh, do what you feel is right. Um, and, and don't, don't let other people dictate, um, how you, you create and capture your images and how you sell them, how you market them. Um, and that, that's, I think the joy of, of photography and art is that is it's, it's an individual experience. We can do it together, but in the end it, it is an individual, um, endeavor. I love it. <laughs> All right. Um, who would you think would be cool to have on the podcast? Um, you know, I, I'd love to hear uh, and, and, and hear more from uh, Erwin Brusk, um, a photographer I, I met in the field uh, about a year ago. Uh, he's based up in Seattle, and, and I, I really enjoy looking at his images. I love his, his work ethic and, and, and just his drive to create images. I, I'd love to love to hear him him talk about what he does yeah man he's i really like his his stuff too um i've been following him ever since i used to live in portland oregon too and i used to you know i try to follow as many northwest photographers as i could when i moved there just to you know <laughs> get a feel for what out is out there to shoot so yeah yeah i like what he does he's he's out there you know he's out trying to find new new compositions and new places and uh He's just, I enjoy his style. We, we had a great conversation over a wonderful sunset um, in Rowena in the Columbia oh, River yeah. Gorge. Man, I love that. Um, I shot that uh, Dow's Mountain Ranch one year with Michael Bellino, and it's one of my favorite places. If, if I live there still, I'd go there every year, no matter what. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful area. God. Well, cool, man. So what do you got? Uh, what's coming up for you? Um, I have to head up to Alaska tomorrow morning for a, uh, I'm photographing for a, uh, fly fishing TV show. Um, nice. I still have a fair amount of ties in the fly fishing industry from, from my days guiding. Um, so, uh, I help out with a few TV productions and travel agencies, um, that they kind of send me around the, the West coast or well, the world to, uh, to do photographic work for them and gives me a chance to get outside of my normal bubble and create some new landscape images and, and, uh, take a little break from, from the, the daily grind. Awesome. And, uh, I think I saw that you're, um, going to be a judge for the Epson Pano Awards. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, David, uh, Evans called me up last year and, and asked if I would be interested and, Thoroughly, thoroughly surprised that he did, since I have yet to win a, a gold um, there. But, <laughs> but he said, he said, I guess my my consistency at, at just producing images that do place, you know, the bronze and the silvers um, had eventually put me on on his list. So uh, super excited to sit down and view about. I, he said, get ready for five thousand images. Oof. Well, so, I'm hoping to maybe. Um talk to you more about photo contests and judging photo contests, um, for our Patreon listeners after this. So that, um, that sounds good. Cool, man. Well, 
thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Like that story about the missile, like got me really kind of just inspired to get out and shoot more. So thanks for that. Yeah. Well, th- thanks for uh, having me. Um, I'm honored and, and excited to, uh, to have, have had this opportunity. Cool, man. Yeah, no problem. I've, uh, I've been a fan of your work for a long time, so it's, it's awesome to finally have you on the show. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks to Abe for taking the time to visit with us on the podcast. To find out more about Abe and see more of his awesome work, visit ablair.com. You'll find links to topics we discussed and more in the show notes on my blog at mattpainphotography.com. You can support us by writing a review about the podcast in the iTunes store or wherever you listen to podcasts. As people search for podcasts to listen to, it helps them discover the podcast. Thanks to both Eric Bennett and Peter Coscoon for their awesome five-star reviews. You can also support the show by making a monthly contribution through Patreon. For as little as a dollar, you help pay for the production costs of the podcast and help us improve the podcast. For $5 a month and higher, you gain access to bonus episodes. For example, this week on Patreon, Abe and I discuss photo contests, what judges look for, why to join them, and what it will be like for him to judge the Epson Panel Awards. Thanks to our newest patron, Michael Remke. If you want to drop me a line about the podcast, either suggestions or ideas, please reach out via my website at mattpainphotography.com or on uh, social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. It's Matt Payne Photo or Matt Payne Photography. Uh, thanks for listening. <laughs>